Welcome back to the motherfucking War Horse Podcast, episode 23. The website is goldengoatguild.net. Golden Goat Guild on Instagram and Andrew Edwards on Twitter. Episode 23 is a continuation in the dialogue series. However, um it's going to be it's going to be a hybrid. No guest this episode. The whole guest lineup um pretty much pretty much fell apart during the move. And um, it's slowly but surely being put back on track. So have no fear. Fear being one of the main themes of this episode. As always, I am surrounded by my weapons. And when I say surrounded, I really mean it. All of them are spread out in this room because I am getting my shit together, just like you. Cleaning guns, stacking magazines, checking old gear, cannibalizing some of it for new gear, and my faithful hound dog, Riker, is here as well. So, the latest um, in the Patreon offerings, which are really just, for the most part, unedited ramblings, born out of various moments of anxiety, tedium, avoidance of other work. However, um, this one, Known and Unknown, I titled it, is basically an attempt to start wrapping heads around the vast uncertainism that we're facing. Um, If anything, I should... But I won't, you know, I will not um, take any pleasure in in being right. We were in some pretty deep uncertaintism when I put that idea forward some, some few months back. But now, 
really, in my opinion, there is need for re-examination. Um, and of course, you know, draw your own conclusions. Uh, in speaking with some friends this past weekend, we were all sort of in agreement, at least, that um, whether it's scenario A or scenario B, most likely, unfortunately, we're looking at some massive migration chaos, which was always in the uh, in the cards. If we tell the truth, we were probably hoping for, you know, something that would burn the various bridges between the continents and kind of allow every culture to sort of go back and lick their own wounds and maybe at least not have to deal with, um, you know, the diversity, proximity, conflict equation while they're simultaneously watching the dreams and hopes of their loved ones and their neighbors uh, be ripped from their hands. But um, who knows, maybe, maybe we'll still get that, that little gift. In, in all likelihood, though, um, I mean, it's, it's been a lot of months um, on a certain border of a certain country that has been wide open, something like 100,000 folks are coming through each month. I think those are baby numbers compared to what uh, what we'll see shortly. But anyway, this piece um, of speculative brainstorming coincided with some thinking on fear. And I was asked to do if not a whole episode, a segment. And I think that in the way that repetition is essential for us dudes, especially those of us deranged by our phones and fighting the constant lack of our faculties, um good time to to brush up on a few things so before I launch off into that
you're wondering where the rumble of the warhorse is. It is about seven feet from me. So I feel like it still can be the Warhorse podcast. So basic definition of fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. An unpleasant emotion. And uh, basic definition of emotion, which is a pretty good one. I was expecting something. The, the definition accepted, you know, amongst the professionals seems to have shifted quite a bit just of late when I began querying this idea it was or at least what I found was more muddled a natural instinctive state of mind deriving from one's circumstances mood or relationship with others pretty pretty fucking broad one's circumstances mood which kind of you know mood doesn't take us that far from emotion how'd you get in a mood did that involve emotion relationship with others others other woodland creatures I think so other humans, definitely. Other entities, in my opinion, yes. The thing I like about this definition, though, is a natural, instinctive state of mind deriving from one's etc. Deriving. One of the big problems in my experience with trying uh, the sort of left brain linear category, Aristotelian, if you will, approach um, is this this failure of you know this like recursive failure of of definition is one part of it but you can you know you can work with that like mood all right well maybe your your chi is not um perfectly aligned today and so you have one mood or another when i first got into this i couldn't accept that and i still and i do not now accept that emotion was purely some biological phenomena you know that of course in reaction to an event or a bit of information what have you and so in a way this question kind of draws you real close not all the way but right to the door of so many larger questions 
object, subject, interior, exterior, panentheism, vibes, frequency, feeling, you know, what's your, what's your take on it? What's your feeling? We use there again this, this word, and we know what it means. But I think here, it's not necessarily, it's, it's common, right, to try and deal with something like a nasty emotion. I mean, it's not like we're, we're dealing with just way too much fucking happiness all the time. God, I'm just so joyful all the time, and so is everyone around me, that, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten the experience of, I don't know, embarrassment, humiliation, loss, sadness, what have you. So, like, everybody knows this, but in terms of, Right, you see the problem immediately. How are you going to overlay this linear categorization onto this and fucking do something with it? Well, you're not. You're not supposed to, you know? You're supposed to accept this worldview of compartmentalization that was instilled in you and I and everybody through mostly public education um, and then you know as it becomes more absurd and life goes on and it still makes no sense well you just create another compartment interior for yourself and um, you label that like I'm an introvert or my feelings and thoughts that I have to keep to myself or may get me kicked out of the dinner party. Various, I grabbed a couple, you know, various um, schools, I guess we'll call them, on fear. Um... Gavin D. Becker, interesting character, you tell me, you know, is this a guy who, um, where does he stand on the spectrum between, you know, relativism, materialism, and um, supernatural explanations, or allowance at least, quote, true fear is a gift that signals us in the presence of danger. Okay. Thus, it will be based upon something you perceive in your environment or your circumstance. I'd quibble with that part, that second clause there. But unwarranted, he goes on, unwarranted fear or worry will always be based upon something in your imagination or your memory. I absolutely quibble quibble with that one. 
to say that fear is unwarranted means that there's some deeper category here, right? Kierkegaard, I think we mentioned before, and um, Heidegger each had ways of separating anxiety, or as De Becker calls it, worry, from fear. And then they, they even subcategorized anxiety and then sort of worked it back into um, what De Becker, you know, seems to be, you know, something in your environment. So in, in many ways, this is almost like a new ageism for the like tactical executive, I guess. True fear. I like to I like to make that distinction myself, you know, like the true work, the true novelist, etc. Um and of course I'm taking this out of context. I'm not trying to eviscerate the dude, but I'm sure it's, I we need to be very clear that he's not in the same category as as any of the others, uh, you know, sort of canonical, not even canonical, but memorable uh, thinkers and works that we can draw from here. You know, he's he's rooting it in materialism. And then giving, as Dee says, a patina of woo as, as your overlay. You know, this is like the, the typical Kinko's book maneuver. Like, all you got to do is sort of look at it in another way if we just jumble the words in a different order. Remain where you're at. Do nothing. And, of course, if it doesn't work, you know, you can call Gavin DeBecker. You can leave a fucking message, I'm sure. And he'll get back to you if you're alive. Nonetheless, you know, it's kind of a useful... um, formulation. So the Stoics from Seneca quote, we are more often frightened than hurt and we suffer more from imagination than from reality. Probably true. We are often we are more often frightened than hurt and we suffer more from imagination than from reality. Our old pal, Carlos Coyote Castaneda. As you recall, his formulation was uh, fear is the first enemy to overcome. And the way that he has it worked out, of course, is that then by overcoming fear, you gain clarity. 
yet now clarity has become the enemy. And so you have to get over clarity into power and then work with that. And once again, you know, for all Castaneda's faults, all his thievery, all his shitty dog shit behavior, um, for my money, that is a much more useful approach. It allows for the vastness of experience. And as long as you don't get hung up on the, oh, just the, the pure primitive kind of exotic shamanistic, you know, sultry quality of the marketing and the packaging and whatnot, for my money, I mean, I'm taking him over both the Stoics certainly Gavin DeBecker but then we get to the good book and you know here I think Castaneda remains useful and maybe that's you know an angle to try and explore in this little diatribe for you guys. Um, Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Second Timothy 1, 7. This one. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So pausing, because I'm going to run through a couple more. DeBecker has true fear as a gift. So this is kind of, again, this... It's as if there's a, a, moder a mindset... overlooked or so accepted in modernity that it requires any type of communication between the common or, you know, most folks, I imagine. It requires this sort of, not a, it's not necessarily um, an opening caveat but it, it necessitates this reformulation of things. Rather than 
leaping to a conclusion like God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And then going into the question of, okay, well, what is the spirit? We are twisted at the beginning. Okay, fear is a gift. That sounds good. I like gifts. You like gifts. With signals, okay, it's going to signal the presence of danger. Now, in the useful sort of, you know, seminar for, I think his stuff is geared mostly towards um, I was going to say PTSD, um, personal security detail, bodyguard sorts of roles. I, I get it, you know. I'm sure you get it too. He's, and he's doing um, like a quick rundown of instinct in a way. The issue I have with the approach is, once again, you've defined the world, yourself, interior, exterior, object and subject, and you've rolled all that up and just run the fuck on. If you're interested, and you refer back to this little brainstorming piece that I shat out today, In attempting some semblance of coherent analysis regarding our situation, um, and I'm speaking here geopolitically, financial, social, all through our concerns, is woven... Um, You know, I, for many, this is, I want to say, is woven a fear. And that's because it's kind of inevitable. Um, but it's actually, in my opinion, yeah, fear, because that's the goal. I mean, I think that's the main goal of the cattleman and the cattle, you know. Am I going to get the prod again? Are you going to fucking brand me on my ass and give me this giant fly-bitten infected scar? Are you going to take my, my baby cow from me? Um, that's this tool that's deployed. And one of these questions that I've been rolling over in my mind for some time is what is the central, the fundamental characteristic difference between the NPC and, frankly, the rest of us? You know, the conscience, the conscious percipient of the whole show, really. Um, because if you're conscious at this point, you're aware of, you know, this, what we've called the spectacle. 
um, how much of this footage from Ukraine is really from Ukraine. I mean, I'm not saying this is true, but how many of us would really be able to do the technical geolocation work or even the the basic kind of open source work to pick apart these videos for uniform and badge and color of the dirt, foliage, placement of the sun to determine that, well, actually that was not shot in Ukraine this year. That was shot in um, northern Georgia six months ago. Man, parched. Pardon me. So, insofar as there's a number of like cognitive, just basic like data hurdles that you and I must daily wade through, do a series of calculations, bounce that off of the sort of historical trends that are available to us, the trajectory of past regimes, events. Um, You know, throw this up against the proverbial wall to see if it sticks amongst our friends, our cohorts, back to the drawing board, do it again the next day. So if we were going to take the Bible as true, 50-50 proposition for the honest, um, and for the faithful, much better than that. We're imbued with a spirit of power. If anything, defining social characteristic of this time is relates somewhat to this this daily responsibility of managing the the mental gymnastics of what's true, what's false, and then who around me will will be able to speak this language will also have arrived at tentative conclusions that I've arrived at. So immediately this, you know, not a giant fan of the evolutionary biology, which I believe I've said before, but um, 
it doesn't it, it doesn't take you know seven million years, and even if it did, uh, to inculcate something like a base fear of exclusion, ostracism from from the group. So when you get to fear, going back to like reverse engineer Castaneda's formulation, the next step being clarity, I think it's fair to describe at least the experience of it as living in some sort of hall of mirrors. And this hall of mirrors does not... You and I are, are, shall we say, we could say we're just partially responsible for the constant upkeep and maintenance of this, you know, it's not just a hall of mirrors, it's a a fucking mansion of mirrors. Um, A shopping mall. And worse yet... You, you take it, we take it with us, you know, this experience of fear begins in one room, easily carries into the next room, and before you know it, you begin to kind of identify another dicey word that I would like to spend some time maybe clarifying here in this context if if possible. But to finish this thought, we identify we tend to do this, you know, whatever we're doing is what we are. And this is related to addiction. It's related to what people call ego. It's related to, maybe more importantly, for your purposes, you know, your sense of, of who you are. And in this way, you can start to see how fear is, is for the human animal being, is this incredibly powerful. I don't think that the cow, I think the cow really just wants you to fuck off and let it eat grass. I just don't, I don't think it wants to be hassled and prodded and probed um, to say nothing of its more basic instincts like being pinned around the neck and leered at uh, in some strange apparatus. But for the human Fear, fear can be truly debilitating, and it's, they say that it's contagious, you know, um, and it, it is, I think, and this goes maybe some distance to explaining, you know, some of, because not every NPC will always be an NPC. 
And so it's, I'm, the reason I asked that question is because I don't, I don't ascribe yet, and I doubt I will, to any sort of biological imperative difference. Um, RK theory and these sorts of things are very interesting, very kind of fun ideas to play around with, but even with ter in terms of like the expression of genes, um, epigenetics related to not only the willful behavior of the individual as a child and in puberty, but also switched off, switched on consciously by all sorts of masters of the central nervous system, as well as, you know, um, the environment itself, right, um, will trigger this, that, or the other thing, um, presumably to survive the organism aspect of ourselves does appear to have this inborn God-given capacity because you and I don't uh, heal the wound. I mean, there's some, some micro covens out there and some related characters who will tell you you can you can will platelets to operate more quickly perhaps but um i think they're just sort of fishing around want you know once they've attached themselves to somebody else's great idea that through conscious intention we do gain access to portals and personal power with respect to all, all manner of shit. And certainly healing is one of them. It would be interesting as a, <clears throat> as a digression to... We won't be able to do this, um, and this isn't the sort of thing that I do, but if I had a team and a couple billion dollars to piss away, I might grab up some enterprising, oh, it would probably take a team of like sociologist grad students and what is it, statisticians? Statistician, statisticians um, and do one of those like 40-year studies on how and focus it on the woo and the coven and the power of the power of whatever media they're imbibing and see how it goes you know they're there's something to all this, which I've said before. Um, there's something to being able to, quote, manifest things.
And I just wonder how much of the cottage industry surrounding books like the teachings of Don Juan or um, the Four Agreements or whatever the you know latest New Age phenomena is, I kind of tend to think that those people who can actually manifest what they want, they're usually not really attendant to those circles. And I would bet that my, um, my hobby team, my 40-year study, would show some very interesting alignment between whatever... Whatever's being pushed out of ma mainstream media through publishing, television, influencers now, I guess, is, is a major arm of it. But you know where I'm going. I could probably save myself some money and just make the assumption. But let me finish this. Ah, fine beverage. Simply water. Untainted, distilled filtered water a little bit of snooze it's all the power we need so trying to get back on track here Castaneda has formulated this and we can re-engineer it reverse engineer it, excuse me, to presume that if you are not seeking, I guess, to perpetuate the state of power that God has granted you, then you're already in some condition away from God, away from his intention for you. And this is, this is the, it's in a way, it's the defining, if we say it's an emotion, you know, whatever the fuck an emotion is. When I was uh, really trying to examine that question personally and kind of attempting to understand it, more or less what I concluded is that you're better off using language, which you're not going to be allowed to do unless you create your own microculture, you know, starting in your mind and then amongst some, some friends, family, loved ones who will be supportive of this. Uh, you know, you're going to have to redefine things if you're going to approach this question seriously of, well, what is fear? Because where you're going to be led is into, you know, basically the woo-woo dojo um, you know, finally to arrive at some sketchy fucking ayahuasca circle and, um, you know, waiting outside of that ayahuasca circle is the, the CIA handler with your polyamory pamphlets and, um, a couple of 7.5, you know, 7.5 to, uh, 
well, that's probably going to be the top, but there'll be a few girls there, you know, that maybe your, your spouse or girlfriend can begin taking an interest in. I'm joking, but I'm not. It's just how the shit plays out. Um, you're better off... You know, I mean, we've already done this. The, the approach is ultimately the warrior's way. It's a whole reformulation um, of how to approach what you're already dealing with. Because even in the definition, you know, it's a response to um, either a mood, which is internal, evidently, but may have been triggered by an external thing, or circumstances around you. So if I attempt to take, you know, the reason I picked De Becker is because this is a hard line sort of place where... And this has been my gripe with the entire tactical world the whole time. Um, and there are very, very few exceptions uh, to this rule. The entire tactical world, even though they will claim to be Christian or what have you, will default in all of their language and all of their conclusions and all of their assumptions and all of their um, programs. And whether that's fitness or what have you, will will default for and again, I'm not trying to fucking pick on anybody because part of it's true. You know, you repeat something and you lock that that neural circuit in and it can be refined. One thing I really like to take that digression and probably to shit can wherever I was going before, but maybe it'll come back to me. Um, Craig Douglas... I think has a brilliant approach to everything he does. Um, if you're not familiar with, with Craig Douglas, absolutely check the guy out. Um, Shiv works as his company. He's responsible for a number of pretty sweet and innovative knife designs, as well as a, I hesitate to say a school because he's been through, you know, what LaFond has described, the, the dojo experience of walking away and realizing that very little of what he learned, um, it might have built character for sure, but maybe wasn't as applicable as he had hoped, more of a, you know, karate as dance. But um, the way I understand it is Mr. Douglas, you know, took that road and then immediately... Um, kind of recoiled in the real world uh, applying these things and he became I think he started as a corrections officer went undercover um, narcotics vice these sorts of things for many years and was a trainer the entire time so he had a bit of a unique approach in that he was training people to in tactics that he himself was refining based off experiences he gained on the street. Um, and then he put this into a kind of crucible amongst friends, refining it further and further. And 
he's even continued to evolve it, which is sort of part of the reason I identify him. So he, he focuses on these micro aspects of fighting. The clinch, the one-foot gunfight, um, verbal agility. I've mentioned him before. Um, fascinating guy and one of the few one of the few who have gained like almost universal respect though I have run run into a few characters who thought his his game was bullshit or weak I just think those guys were most likely bullshit and weak I can't the thing is, Mr. Douglas doesn't appear to, he doesn't purport to solve, you know, all of the problems. In fact, in I, I have not been to one of his classes, but from what I understand, where he has arrived is the kind of quintessential, you know, master as student paradox where he travels 40 some weeks out of the year and places students in positions of doing as close to you know real world play, playing out real world scenarios um, with simunitions and um, trainer knives and the like and so he sees over and over again certain patterns which he exploits and attempts, to, you know, sees that and then begins to work a solution off of that. But he also has, he's arrived at this place where he realizes that shit's just going to happen and there's no way, no matter how many evolutions or iterations of even one single drill, once you add the human being into a dynamic space. I mean, uh, anything, not anything, but, you know, maybe anything could happen. Um, and certainly there are enough factors when you consider all the apparatus that your, your weapons, your belt, um, again, your the human, the mood. So, This is sort of instructive in like in almost an essential natural way because I think that what we really fear I personally my experience is there's there's probably you could probably isolate 3 or 4 or 5 but mainly, it's the thing that we can't train for. You know, it's like I put in all this effort, I put in all these repetitions, and this one fucking tiny thing went wrong. You know, I always trained the um, clearing the stovepipe malfunction, but I got a fucking double feed. And. You can see that 
these two worlds are colliding where you're training the human animal to respond to stimuli like we would animals and then you're placing what is not just an animal what is a thinking transcendental creature into a super dynamic space you know it's beyond even the dynamics of self-interest capitalism human suffering whatever like mid broad level you know tier you want to get that you know you can go below it like uh racial anim animosity or you can start to individualize it you know it's suffering uh projected or externalized it's um you could say it's just evil if you want it if you want to go super broad you know it's a it's a conflict between you the good guy and the bad guy and it is often formulated for reasons of shorthand i i think uh, in that manner which is a little confusing because there are truly evil people out there you may or may not run into them <clears throat> man sometimes water just hits but there are also levels of analysis available to to match all of the various you know um i want to say types of people uh, uh, out there and as you guys regular listeners of the warhorse know i'm not huge on the categorization but it it would probably be useful because you could extrapolate from there into all types of other conflicts um and psychology has done this you know there's a lot of there have been attempts lately let's say to draw parallels between various pr professions and you know the dark triad the criminal mindset blah 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 the reason i like the tactical is that it does ultimately just deal with the fucking problem at hand you know you don't care about whether his father left him or his mother abused him or any of that shit if he if this criminal is attempting to take something from you even if that's just your 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 illusions you know your pride um much worse you know maybe it's something you really love it's absolutely imperative that you can manage on that level this if we hearken back to early episodes we talked about black and white thinking and then once you've got a grasp on this moving into the gray that's just how i personally formulate because i'm not a person who's who tends towards you know this 
class or this group or this clan is is pure evil and I'm pure good so you know by default uh, I'm gonna wipe them out and take their shit but I'm also not a person who's saying that's completely you know off the table and where I'm driving here is to is to say that couple things. We're concerned about managing a relationship with fear. Mostly, I think, so as to not be overwhelmed by it. And um, maybe the irony and the, the way to bridge these two, these two trains running is... If we recall, I think, I have no idea what episode. We made an effort to establish this idea that all levels of abstraction are operating at once. But that's not really... Operating at one or two or three without uh, pharmaceutical assistance is is pretty possible i think for for most people four or five starts to get i would imagine into pretty rarefied stuff um i think at that point you know you're talking about somebody who is who Who's done some serious work? Let's just leave it at that, and some, and work in like many different fields. Um, task switching, this sorts of language in the tactical world. You know, um, there is no multitasking. There's task switching. Um. I think the daemon would, my daemon at least, this ornery, eccentric, winged bunny who is really, you know, next to Riker, my dog is probably my best pal, uh, you know, he would, he would quibble with this big time. And, you know, I'm joking, but obviously I would too. Nonetheless, um, so the paradox is, I think, in order to deal with the momentary, imminent experience that you are having, right, like we're in the now, the trick is that In the way we dry fire and practice and practice the draw and clean the weapons and familiarize ourselves with the weapons and play the what if game and train with our friends, train in realistic scenarios, we go to classes, what have you, we build up this whole history. If you really, really, really were going to be 
complete. If you were going to be the warrior, the methodical, uh, you know, losing is not an option. That was, that's, again, I'm not going to pick out any names, but there was this meme recently, you know, the Chad infantry dude versus the, the virgin special operator. Um, when I, you know, if you go back to like 83, there was maybe, maybe a 10 year window in there where my conception of, it was as if I had taken Rambo and all the ninja movies that I'd seen and little bits and pieces of my you know, small childhood experience and sorry for that noise cannot be helped. Um, and I, I had ninja books, you know, all sorts of stuff and, um, had derived from all of this an image in my mind of what what the warrior was. Um, the academic takes on this, you know, that oh, if we move over to film and whatnot, that they would probably tell you that, you know, Rambo is this laconic character who harkens back to 40s and 50s westerns, which were themselves, you know, actually written by Jewish screenwriters who were, I don't know, projecting their, their fantasies of, of being tough guys in an alien world or some such shit like this. The truth is that, you know, Rambo was... It was, it was useful for the creators of that film to keep his dialogue to a minimum uh, for, for reason, reasons basically of you know international finance and um, the film business moving out into, into other countries. Um, so you keep the dialogue to a minimum, you tell the story through behavior, yeah, I guess you can get a bigger foreign audience. So these are the practical sorts of threads that we have to wade through to try and arrive at reality. You know, the reality that I had fabricated for myself as a kid was that the true warrior um, had something on the interior that was vastly more refined. It wasn't ever acceptable to me that, and nor is it implied, you know, in, in either film or literature or myth that I guess sometimes you do have a sort of golden boy character, but oftentimes this character is, is subject to some crucial flaw, right? Hubris is, is pretty common. 
some sort of inability to detach is another one. Achilles comes to mind. Um, and this this was not, you know, the ninja was technically not a modern character, but that was how I consumed him. And um, that was the image that, that was created in my mind. And I still think that it's true, that in order to even understand fear, and if you wanted to approach it purely from, which, I mean, it's not that bad of an approach to just take on the biological and deal with that. Unfortunately for, you know, someone such as myself, it's just, it's just not an option. Um, and if you've, and I know many of you have, if you've ever really been in a fight, um, I mean, the, the difference between your normal consciousness and where you go, I mean, fuck, forget about drugs, forget about movies. Um, in my experience, it's, it's a whole other thing. And navigating that particular portal would be very different in a team environment versus you know versus one man in a town you understand or one man in a town or a city you do not understand even those two would be very different i think and so you take you're stuck with this relationship with yourself is kind of where we can maybe set all this down and return to the Bible. In some effort to sort of recap, um, not recap, but because we're at about an hour and I might cut these non-paying fuckers off here. I'm just kidding. But essentially, in even trying to understand fear, psychologists have gone back and forth and back and forth and arrived at this pretty nebulous sort of definition that, you know, probably works to perpetuate uh, the profession. We're not going to isolate it entirely with you. We're not going to isolate it entirely with the outside world. It's just... this semi-natural state, but you also don't want to be in it for the most part, even though it's a gift. If you want to turn it around and, you know, make lemonade from your lemons with Mr. DeBecker, um, that's fine too. The Stoics, um, you know, basically it's not useful, therefore I do not experience it. I'm not a huge fan of the Stoics. 
nor am I a fan of their modern day uh, cheerleaders. Mostly uh, a little, you know, minor cash grab, but again, Castaneda seems to have not quite sure, honestly, you know, that where he where he got this formulation, but in terms of its usefulness to again reverse engineer to how are you even asking this question that i think gives you an angle to begin to answer the question of well, what is it what is emotion what is a fear and where do i go with it a great many um you know like adepts or uh students of the work this this type of character um i mean probably more more of them have wound up sort of you know lounging in oblivion than maybe have gone on to maybe we just didn't hear about them you know perhaps that's the hopeful and optimistic way of looking at it because i think the best of them The best of them may have um, not attempted to like regurgitate their master's teachings and, and what have you, because it does seem as if there are very few um, genuine masters. And whatever their fate was... Um, In separating the spiritual aspect from the purely athletic or repetitive aspect, as somebody who, you know, I spent a lot of time as a, as a kid doing this particular thing and I got exceptionally good at it. Even in the physical repetition, the training, there's this phrase like, I won't, I won't remember all, you know, four elements of it, but it's, it's essentially you begin placing conscious effort on these, these skills. And then eventually you've refined them and certain of the you know elements of the operation say of a handgun you don't have to think consciously about the grip you've built up this muscle memory as we used to call it and um you know you've you've made whatever that formulation is i know you guys are probably remembering it but i am not um you, you've risen to a kind of unconscious competence. You no longer have to apply effort. When that cocktail of like real fight or flight kicks, um, it's, it's very 
it's an amazing experience because, well, for many, many reasons, but for our conversation here, in my experience, you have the ability to slip in and out of, you know, I guess in a way, a form of task switching. If that task, personally anyway, um, you know, is related to vantage points. Um, Whether, you know, the fight is 50 yards from you, whether it's laying at your feet now, dead, bleeding out, whether it's uh, multiple assailants from multiple angles, whether it's the sirens ringing down the street, or you know, air support roaring over the hills, whether it's the voices of your team, these are all native to that event. Having some type of higher level dialogue is the only way I can kind of pivot over into what this is all leading to. The multiplicity is of yourself. If we go back to my list of, of Bible quotes here. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And these different points of view from different authors and different books are all very interesting. And to revisit one other, you know, when I am afraid, the first person here, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Peter, a sort of admonishment tone. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I had mentioned a long time ago, I think, this sort of silly book, Julian Jaynes, the bicameral, uh, blah, 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 and the bicameral mind. And the, the theory was that, you know, at some point in human history, again, this is an evolutionary sort of take on things. Uh, the human, with his divided hemispheres, left and right, and the corpus callosum, this 
meaty little sheath that evidently communicates between the two sides. Um, <clears throat> operated as like a barrier between the two, sort of the, in the way that, you know, if you approach a horse from the left um, and he sees you, you know, and you acknowledge him, you dis disappear back behind the horse. You want to keep your hand trailing the entire way for when you reemerge on the right side. Because that fucking horse, his right side will not necessarily have communicated with his left side. So he will be your friend on one side and you can spook the shit out of him on the other. Dolphins, um, and I believe whales, have a similar setup. Dolphins famously basically sleep one half at a time. And who knows how this really works. I'm not a dolphin. You're not a dolphin. But evidently what it appears to be is that one side of their being is sleeping and the other one is sort of involved in various mellow tasks like floating on the surface and taking a breath and watching for predators. I'm not saying we're dolphins. I'm not saying, in my opinion, that man ever experienced God as this other side of himself. Presumably that would have been, you know, the, um, the right hemisphere. If you recall the conversation with D and his mentioning the Postural Restoration Institute. So in studying up on this myself, and to reiterate some of what Dee said, basically it's guaranteed that, and it's a feature for PRI trainers that they're always having to reassure people, yeah, yeah, I know you're left-handed, or, you know, I know you did a lot of work with your left leg or what have you, but you're going to be locked into the exact same pattern 99.9% .9 of the time, even though, yes, there are this infinitesimally small little group of people out there, I guess, who can kind of have it reversed or in some other cockeyed fucking position. Essentially, due to the anatomy of the way we breathe, you have, you know, the three lobes on the right and a more developed diaphragm on the right, two lobes, one of them missing evidently to stuff the heart in over, over on that side, and uh, a less developed diaphragm on the left. And we're kind of just constantly posturally, habitually, unconsciously, oriented to the right. And this causes over time, not for everybody, but for a lot of people, especially if you work out a lot and you train a lot, um, a variety of, I mean, all manner of, of completely fucked up problems. One of which 
is that it screws up your breathing. You get into, you know, basically an irregular pattern, which will stimulate the central nervous system into a low-grade fight-or-flight situation. So your posture over time is going to affect your mental health. Some mental health experts, um, the more open-minded, you know, of them, many and, and other sorts of researchers and experts and whatnot are sort of coming around to the idea that a great deal of mental illness is probably, and I'm pretty sure we've, we've touched on this earlier, is probably related to central nervous system dysregulation. So, going back to the ninja, spending inordinate amounts of time that he, in his context, was granted to meditate, uh, presumably, you know, the state or his, his lord or whoever uh, is covering his training costs and his shelter, everything. He probably doesn't have a family. I like to think that ninjas did have families, though. I like to think that um, that would have been a pretty interesting dad to have. Either way, um, the ninja has the option, or it's not even an option. I mean, it's, it's my understanding is, or maybe it's just my fanciful sort of reading in. So we'll go with that. You know, my ideal will would be a heavy, heavy emphasis on, and you hear this again in the tactical world all the time from fucking everybody. You know, the mind is, in the final analysis, the mind is the only weapon. And there's a great deal, you know, this, uh, that's like some cool shit to throw out on your Instagram post. But um, if that's really true, who's the biggest badass in the room? something to ponder and in a hall of mirrors in a culture in a context in which we live which is defaulting to fear all the time ask that question then and I think that maybe in answering this question we come back to this um this interface with the self, you know, the self is the only real enemy that you have. The only thing that you actually have to work on is that. In a, you know, a Hallmarkian moment on the Warhorse podcast, not so much, but, you know, I will say that in relationships with other people, um, one of the one of, you know, hallmarks, mixing now uh, unintentional puns, god-awful humor, the tactical realm, and, um, you know, what, what other than, I mean, I attribute it to my mom, you know, so classic momisms. Um, you know, that's, that's what you guys come here for, right? So, 
this is to say that in my experience, um, you know, usually I'm the guy at fault. And usually that's where I want to look first if there's a problem. And that can be, you know, if it's extreme, then you're getting into like weird issues of, you know, not building boundaries or not thinking highly. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about at the the highest level. If you can, and some people do this very well automatically, you know, whether that was part of their upbringing or not, I don't know. Others of us um, perhaps have experiences that bend us, you know, back to the, the posture, orient us in some fixed way in which you're rewarded. And however, you know, as, as again, the, the new agers and the psychologists say, um, you know, there's stuff you need to let go of that's no longer serving you. These people make a lot of money um, in, in like reformulating, you know, very obvious shit that, you know, any mechanic or construction worker will be able to, to illustrate for you. Take my word on this um, very quickly. But, you know, oftentimes that same guy, uh, maybe not that same guy, but the guy next to him, right, in at the construction site or in the team room or... Um, at the office, whatever, will have some difficulty in uh, in raising, reformulating, you know, the the analysis. It's kind of like a probe, you know, the detective going out and seeking where in this slatted darkness um does the pattern change and what the fuck's going on here if you're not going too far into like self-flagellation and you know this sort of shit if you are bent more towards this position of solving stuff the point is that guy in the team room or the construction worker very well might go home and fucking you know have some screwy offbeat relationship uh in his home life and and on the one hand he can he can deploy his logic on certain problems but not on himself so in deploying this logic on ourselves and in an attempt to bridge these two hours together for you the multiplicities of yourself I think are only accessed through this type of work in two realms you know where you have set aside the sort of repetitive motion training uh, draw, present, dry fire. Draw, present, dry fire. Draw, present, you know, fucking whatever. Over and over and over. It's, it's as if, you know, in the peak performance, the mind kind of hovers above that. You hear um, great athletes or what have you, 
or if you've had yourself had an experience of this, um, where you're in the zone, you know, you are now automatic. And if you can realize that you're now automatic, you, you will notice any number of things. You will notice that you're in this meditative state where everything, you know, whether it's a humorous thought or a sense of pride in your accomplishment or whatever, can, you can access anything in that moment. You could bear down and avoid, you know, prideful uh, self-gratification and focus on the next play in the game or what have you. But everything's available to you. And in the sense of fight or flight, it's like not, it can be that almost nothing feels available to you. My contention is basically this is a combination of a conditioning problem that's, again, through education, through the context in which we are now experiencing life. We've labeled many of the, um, the culprits in previous episodes, so we won't rehash them. We're conditioned to have this sense that fight or flight is automatic. Like DeBecker says, this is a gift. And so, you know, deal with it. And so in whether it's tactical training or what have you, usually, you know, very little is, is paid towards some attempt at managing that, which is odd because, you, you know, it's not odd. I just spat out my explanation for it. But um, it's, it's striking that it's accepted. And maybe we're at a point in the golden age of gunfighting where it's no longer, that's just not going to be accepted as a given anymore. In my opinion coming from a place of overwhelming dominance is not the, the laboratory in which to work this out. And in fact, that type of laboratory is likely going to lead to some, a variety of experiences. But um, as, as far as I understand it, right, being very clear that I have not participated in modern warfare as such. It, what is um, Zizek's point? You know, we have the chocolate without the caffeine, so it won't, or the chocolate that won't make you constipated, and the coffee without the caffeine, um, the, the sweet substance without the sugar. Um... You know, something about mixing KFC and all this uh, Instagram with what we call war, I, you know, to me, it's like, it's not that I'm, I'm not digging on any individual per se. I'm digging on, I'm making a point about the abstraction of war, you know, in the McCarthyan sense, if you will. You and I are its ultimate practitioners 
war was here before man and waited for us. That's some, again, some badass shit to say, but we're talking about McCarthy here. What, what else can we draw from this? I think you could conclude, well, maybe not conclude, but you, you could certainly start to, start to work with it. This idea that the fight or flight response may, may not be the, the sum total of the options that there, and to put it in the most mild possible way. And it may be instead that, um, you know, the exaltation is, is berserker. This level of, you know, I am a war God may also be, you know, the corresponding, you know, drop off point. Like, no, 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 no. Walk back the fuck up from that and back the fuck away from, you know, being petrified or, overwhelmed with this experience. I just wonder if this cocktail, this universal experience, isn't actually more like a propellant, you know, to get into, um, what do they call it? Ah, it's, it's not coming to me. You know what I mean. To get out of the, uh, Man, basically to, you know, to breach the various levels of the atmosphere. Um, and so to draw that, that metaphor, I wonder if it's a fuel. And it's a fuel not towards some other, like, crude experience of anger. Because, I mean, LaFond has talked about this, you know. It's fairly accessible to transmute fear into anger. And that is probably step one. Um, and all this shit may just be speculative on my part. So keep that in mind. However, if in some sense, war, spiritual, kinetic, or otherwise is in some way made, you know, for man and man made for it in the way that later McCarthy asks whether or not the landscape was made for the wolf or the wolf was made for the landscape. So harmonious is their relationship. So perfect. And the wolf too, right? Yeah, he's beautiful when he runs, but he also eats the asshole out of the deer and then drags his guts into the snow, steaming, and, uh, you know, covers himself in blood. And lest you think that we're going into some Nietzschean, uh, you know, Ubermensch route, and I'm not. I, I'm... Examining for myself this potential for there being a type of portal into other experiences 
Um, and I, I wouldn't even begin, you know, I have a few guesses, but I think I'll keep them to myself as to what that mental state would be. And I am making it clear that I do not believe that other than here or there and, you know, a sort of probably the types of experiences that do not get thrown into, you know, big blockbuster movies or garner large paydays from the um, notoriously deceitful New York publishing houses. Probably not those, you know, it's probably stories that the man, the soldier, the individual who experienced them may not even have the verbiage nor the inclination to attempt to share or to, you know, I doubt if the experience that I'm sort of sketching um, indeed were to fall into upon certain individuals who may be gifted with more humility than others, I wonder if um, they wouldn't also be sort of predilected towards pondering that shit for the rest of their lives as opposed to you know, running off into gaining grants and hitting the speaking circuit, etc. Not that there's necessarily anything particularly wrong with either of those or the two cannot meet, but I'll leave it there for the moment and then return to this multiplicity idea and see if if the gears are starting to mesh. So, Julian Jaynes, again, in my opinion, was, was not necessarily right about the biological sort of illusion, if you will, of you know, hearing the voice of God. The Orthodox that the priests that I have spoken with the church fathers that I've read allow for and I think you know for the most part favor something other than a literal voice in your ear as the voice of God but they're not also minimizing it in some type of you know like in the way that certain liberals will say, well, you know, I'm going to be buried in a, in a little bag of seeds and dirt and then I will become the tree. Like, this is just totally fucking unsatisfying and, and seems to miss the point entirely. Um, it's in the hierophany, right? Like, watching those wolves course over the plain and seeing them do their their strategic work picking out the weak and seeing how the bison curve with the landscape um seeing how all of that is overlaid by the shadows of the clouds seeing other little creatures and yourself seeing yourself you know the witness witnessing himself witnessing um to be in some moment like that, I think is pretty 
definitionally transcendent. And I know that there are experiences in the boxing ring, probably in MMA, certainly in war, where, and in, in other types of conflicts as well. Um, and so, you know, one of these, just to reiterate it, if it wasn't clear, one of these problems with the bigger budget, more attention grabbing sorts of war narratives, uh, you know, they're, they're hitting the common denominator. They're working, they're pulling your heartstrings, they're manipulating you. And it's not, it's not ever going to be in the same way that we can't, no matter who the fucking director is, no matter how much money you throw at it, you cannot make a movie of Blood Meridian. And some really uh, pretty talented folks thought for a moment they could and then actually confronted what's in the pages of that book. And I imagine, I like to think anyway, that at least an intimation, a hint of humility uh, wafted through the room. Maybe later it was based on budgetary concerns or what have you. But um, the truth is otherwise. And whether or not they can admit it is, is not germane to the point. And so I have a bit of an issue in terms of examining it. With, but I also want to, you know, I, I want to move it towards the violent um, life or death. Blood is spilled. Lives are taken. Lives are altered sort of conflict. To see, you know, to press the boundaries of, of the thinking. But it's it's foolish to deny that any of that experience is not transferable to other types of conflict, even if it's just entirely internal. Um, you know, if we pull up this second clause from De Becker to kind of wind this together a bit, You know, true gift signals danger. Thus, it will be based upon something you perceive in your environment or your circumstance. I suppose we could give him the benefit of the doubt and then widen circumstance to be, you know, the mental state um, that you bring to the experience. So, let's see where I'm at on time. Nice. Right where I want to be. Okay. So, we'll make this point. I think that part of the work, part of the practice that the real warrior has access to is totally internal. And it's a sort of cleansing, purging, basic spiritual practice level. And, 
you'll see you'll see again the like the veneer of this you know in the quiet professional and i'm not saying that there there's you know not value to somebody who considers themselves a quiet professional or whatever if you can't see the bigger point i'm making then you're probably one of these douchebags who is carrying around the veneer and hasn't even had the balls to scratch the surface of what's being discussed here to to realize you know i mean it's some it's some bold um borderline you know maniacal mego mego maniacal sorts of assertion speculation um but i don't i do not believe it's it's unwarranted or even that it's lacking in abundant evidence i I think rather it's this compartmentalization you know like as being it's like we've fucking in in embodied and internalized the the office cubicle or you know the station the hierarchy all just entirely man-made and thereby just like the cia does you know to its within its hierarchy compartmentalized you know whole tranches of life experience um across the board life experiences uh areas of expertise and in many ways you know i i would i could see extrapolating this out to explain the source of all our fucking problems the source of the unknown and the known watch this is that we didn't move into a place of clarity in Castanadian terms, but rather reinforced the constant default of fear. And this has now become encultured as the, um, the urbanites and uh, the professors might say. And through this enculturation process, you know, a bunch of other weird shit has been exacerbated various weaknesses that that probably are you know somewhat unrelated or entirely unrelated have been exacerbated by this central um defanging of you know the very thing that visually symbolically guards the perimeter of the nation the state, etc., right down to the family. And referring again to the way that all these levels of abstraction, you don't get to deal with just one. So when you go to war and you, or you go and you face this conflict and it's entirely physical, you know, I suppose you could say, well, I came out on top, that's as good as I got. No problem fucking i'm gonna be congratulating you on your your coolness under fire or but we we're gonna know it's not coolness under fire it may very well have been luck or it may very very well have been other things outside of your control that doesn't mean that i'm not happy you're still here and and the whoever you know the assailant the bad guy uh was put down fantastic 
it's it's like offensive to my nature nonetheless to simply carry on as if there are these these other dimensions weren't at play didn't don't exist and of course you hear it you know you hear it in in many of these stories you know um by god's grace you know by the luck of the draw there are various ways to chalk up serendipitous coincidental bendings of probability and time that are entirely you know outside of anything that ever could have been amassed through simple physical neuro circuit wiring it's not to say the addition of strength and speed or the honing of those attributes isn't important. It's to say that in the honing, we're leaving almost the whole of the treasure on the table, in my opinion. And perhaps that's a, it's not the easiest, you know, I'm not, I, it doesn't matter. I don't really care if it's easy to correct or not. It's, you know, we're at a point, in my opinion, in history where if the whole fucking thing needs to be dismantled to deal with this one tiny little screw down here that's cut, then that's what we're going to do. And if we don't do it, it'll be done for us. And we'll still have to deal with this fucking little tiny screw who, or, you know, whatever this element or component is in the superstructure that has now collapsed, internal, external, two worlds have collided. When the two worlds collided, we're going to see this massive scrambling to explain it one way or another. You know, the cults will pop over here of, oh God, who, you know, all the false messiahs and all of this sort of stuff. And on the other, the false messiahs of science, uh, of materialism and what have you. And both of them, if the horseshoe theory has any truth, it'll be, you know, these fuckers will be equally shit out of luck, I think. So, to attempt once again to kind of the reason that we I wanted to examine these biblical quotes is to say it plainly you have access through prayer all the time and I know that many people like to just sort of equate this with meditation, but I think there's a distinct important difference. Um, born out, of course, in the deep theology of, if we take Christianity versus Buddhism, you know, monism leading to the sort of uber oneness on the Buddhist side and a, a infinite space for, you know, the self to exist as it, 
as a transcendental, transcendental unit, uh, the one and the many. So we know which one I favor, but I, I, I don't discount either one. I both pray and meditate personally. And by doing this, in my worldview, you know, we exist already in the mind of God, for, for lack of a better way to phrase it. But that's, yeah, literally what is going on. And in the panentheistic sense, despite the unconscious, um, you know, how would you task switch between moving from, you know, the arm tie to the underhook to the footwork, accessing your weapon, turning inward, but in, you know, split cutting at each of these steps to the vibrant green of the grass, the wet street, the baby crying way over here, but still these are all right around you, to all of the myriad levels of abstraction that are nonetheless real, that are ongoing as well, it would seem to me that if this propellant like cocktail of fight or flight has indeed um, the, the quality of boosting you beyond this, it may just be into, into clarity, to what to do, into power and in doing it. It may also be if not some analog for a transcendent, a transcendent spiritual experience, um, that experience in microcosm, the implications for that, you know, are explored, and I'm not going to explain myself entirely, but they are explored in King of Dogs, which... You should buy 10 or 15 copies, give, give to your friends, or actually better, give them the money, have them buy it, then have them put up a five-star review. I will not ever stop fighting for that book. So mixing the sacred and profane there, just a second for you, for your entertainment. Um, hopefully I've, I've made at least, you know, I've made it clear what crazy shit um, I'm putting forth here. And that is that within the multiplicities of yourself, you know, there's one, the aspect of you that will call on Jesus or God, whatever nomenclature arises. I mean, it's kind of, you know, Jesus fucking Christ or Jesus. These are, for me anyway, and a lot of people I know, these are reactions instantaneous passed down generationally and I wonder if there isn't something to that beyond you know some ultimate reductionist fucking biological 
seemingly explanatory but sort of circular blather. And I think there is. And I think that to go now to fear and to You know, the listener who asked this question, what is it? I've tried to present the one side which is reductionist and ultimately biological. I've tried to give some credence to the value and admitted that I myself have put in, I mean, way more than 10,000, way more than tens of thousands of hours into various physical, uh, you know, largely physical types of disciplines. What I found is that the effort put into attaining the zone is way more valuable, applies across all any number, probably all different fields, different disciplines, because that's you. That's the essence. And if you know, if anybody in the tactical realm wants to know what the fuck they mean when the mind is the most, when they say the mind is the most powerful weapon, um, that's what it means. It's what, was it Musashi who said, know the one thing, or was it Shuang uh, Tzu who said, know 10,000 things, uh, know one. You know, to know the 10,000, know one. And this is what he means is, not a systems analysis like, you know, probably John Robb or these types of corporate dudes would um, would deploy on you. And they, I'm not, you know, they may very well, some of them understand this and it may very well be a sort of zone. But there's a danger in obviously thinking that this paradigm is going to transfer over to this other paradigm. Pardon the mic bump there. A paradigm is not a state of consciousness. A state of consciousness could be applied to war just as easily as it could be applied to making a peanut butter and jelly or jam sandwich. Fear seems to me to be a regression. It does not seem to me to be a gift. And it seems to me to actually inhibit the gift. The gift being the time that you have. You have the opportunity to train your central nervous system against not just inflammation and fucking um, all sorts of weird postural issues and general pain and suffering. But in many ways, the entire kind of base of the war horse was to attempt and is and will continue to be to attempt to draw out the many angles and threads, um, the areas of division 
between the warrior and the philosopher or the warrior and the poet. I'm not a poet, but close enough. Because they're just, they're just not separatable. Separable. You can get results. If good enough is good enough, then that's what you're going to get is good enough. And for many people, good enough, um, you know, plus um, a little bit of glory, a little bit of fame, a little bit of wealth, a little bit of gratification. Well, fuck yeah, that's good enough for me. All right, fine. But um, in the final measure, it's not. And it would seem to me that if you profess to be dealing in, you know, the, the, the ground of that final measure, finality of taking lives, defending lives. And I know that many soldiers, you know, career type soldiers, they are actually genuinely concerned about that. But um, I would put it on an, I would put the locus of their energies on a fucking way lower rung, you know, things like doing whatever unit histories of uniforms and the, and the like is, um, is a form of dedication and it may very well be valuable. How valuable is it in comparison to a genuine understanding of this way, the warrior's way. If the Becker is right, and I think for most of us in practical terms, the best we can hope for is that he is right and that fear is a signal to you to go through whatever series of mental, you know, slash physico operations that you have honed over time to instantaneously OODA loop, orient, decide, but not to the threat, to the internal threat. It's got to be beyond time in the sense that it's going to, you know, they've measured these reaction times and whatnot. Whatever it is to react and orient to a threat, um, divide it down by 10. You know, uh, I think that's what I'm pointing to is the zone appears to be, and studies definitely support this, you know, entanglement theory, atoms communicating, you know, spooky action as a distance, uh, various molecules competing over vast distances instantaneously. You're all contained. And this is why little things like your diet or what have you, they're kind of um, child's play. And 
I suppose if you could, you know, reverse it all and eat a shitty diet, but, but have this zone accessing mechanism dialed, likely what would happen is you'd catch, you know, carrier waves uh, related to, which people do, you know, I mean, a guy like Craig, Craig Douglas makes it clear that situational awareness, um, avoidance, knowing the, the most base way possible of expressing it is don't do, and I don't know who it's really attributable to, don't do stupid shit in stupid places with stupid people. It doesn't cover everything, but it it really does raise you out of the muck in a massive probabilistic statistical sense. And you've never touched a weapon, you've never trained with a weapon. You've it's entirely absolutely related, however, to to survival, to fighting etc. And so I think that what would happen is you would catch various other carrier waves. Synchronicity, you know, what we call God's favor, what Shigur calls the rule. These again, roads, ways, highways seem to be my favorite metaphors for this, but you know, it may be like an elevated highway. You're moving above it. And so I wouldn't, you know, place a whole lot of time and you could do what I did. It'd probably take you 10 minutes based on whatever notes I'll provide to this podcast. Go find out for yourself. I mean, God is an aspect of yourself. You are an aspect of God. Why you can't call on him, if those two state, previous statements are true, you know, there's, you can. That's so fucking case closed, in my opinion. Will you do the work over years to attain that state? Well, why not? It's perfectly free, accessible in almost any moment. That's the very point of it. I imagine that many of us will not. But I would try to close with maybe, in my way, um, some harsh bit of, of, of motivation. Base fear does not feel normal to me. It feels alien and mechanized. And it's, it's got a, you know, it's a horrible sense, sensation, experience. The posturalists, the, um, the various movement gurus have this idea that Pain is your body 
telling you something. I think fear, not even close to the same as things like, um, you know, there's always a byway, right, to um, despair or grief, sorrow. But we're not talking about those right now. I don't think those personally are to be dealt with in any in the same way at all. I don't I think these are timeless psychic um fixtures that are ultimately informational beyond all, like all reckoning. And fear is is not that. Fear, in the sense, if it is a gift, it is the gift that says, you fucked up. You wasted your fucking time when you, you knew what fear was. You feel it, you know. But where you are supposed to be is in one stage of what we've called the warrior's way. You are either in the power seat, dealing with death, you're in clarity, and clarity is telling you, get the fuck into the power seat. Or you are in fear, and it is an, an instant of an instance, alarm, reminder, trigger, to move through into your operational pattern to gain personal power how does that look on you know a battlefield well it probably doesn't really look a hell of a lot different a uh, lot different than what somebody like um, Craig Douglas again you know to make him the 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 patron saint of this episode may prescribe a series of movements in meat space, etc. But a detailing of what's actually happening in um, the higher mind. That's where your inner monologue is, is itself a well-honed machine. Uh, reaction times do not require full thoughts and therefore this multiplicity of yourself that I'm talking to or talking about and maybe talking to, fuck it. Uh, I think you can say, you know, in, in my terms, it's like the daemon will do something and be that, that fear stimulus. I don't want to have a long, drawn-out conversation. We need to move. It's like, oh, fuck, this guy's here again. And you're moving through into this state of unconscious competence. Therefore, in the way that you know, discipline is the key to freedom, you have freed your mind. Freed it from this... 
frankly deadly cocktail of, of uh, fight or flight, fear, etc. The whole of the trauma loop. This is a great question because it's going right to the central core of, you know, the whole uh, remaking of of this thing that I've attempted to to put forth in the warhorse. So, certainly not the presentation that Huberman Labs would give you. Um, but we're at two hours and eleven minutes, roughly where I had hoped to be. If any of this has been valuable to you, um, please share it. You know, I, I'm not, a, um, I mean, I am above criticism, obviously, but um, I'm not, you know, going to avoid it. If you have feedback on, on those lines, it's fine. As always, DMs, emails are open. I think I cut myself off, though. If it's valuable, you know, share it if you would. And um, in the very near future, as subscribers, regular listeners know, um, I am in, you know, like a three-month reacquaintance and scouting adjustment phase to my new environment. And uh, it's going very well. In the, in the plans, in the works, really, are one, two, three, definitely, I'm signed on, let's do it, new uh, characters to introduce, that is, to have um, dialogue with, and I'm very much looking forward to these. I think you guys will get a lot out of, out of them. What else to say? If I forgot anything, just DM me. If you want to take the black pill, um, you know, and just wallow in it, you can go over to Patreon and check out that last post. It's a little depressing, but sometimes that's how that's how the brainstorming and the sorting, the warriors phase, this place where we attempt even if we cannot do it, we continue to attempt to pull apart the contradictions. That post is um, a somewhat messy example of some of that type of work. But hopefully you are not blackpilled. And hopefully some of, of what you know we just laid down will spark something for you and uh, if you want to share it that's dialogue so I would greatly appreciate it otherwise gentlemen I think I'm gonna drop this on Monday start the week off terrassing as my pal Sam Finlay says <laughs>